What's going on, everyone? It's Alex Aguirre here, host of First Pitch 305 and Marlins beat writer for Lemon City Live. Now, before episode eight begins, I just wanted to give a quick disclaimer before you guys start listening because there were some audio issues throughout the episode. Overall, I had a great time with Jessica Blaylock. You can hear her responses very clearly, and she gives tremendous insight on the Miami Marlins and their activity during the trade deadline. So yeah, guys, I just wanted to give you guys that heads up about the audio issues. There's a bit of an echo, but overall, I had an amazing time and learned so much more about what the Marlins have planned maybe for the 2023 season. I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go fish. And we're back with another episode of First Pitch 305. I'm your host, Alex Aguirre. And guys, we're recording this episode the day after the MLB trade deadline. So we have a lot to unpack for today. And helping me unpack all of this is, is my guest for t- this episode of First Pitch 305. You can catch her amazing work on Valley Sports Florida. She covers the Miami Marlins and the Florida Panthers. Jessica Blaylock, welcome to First Pitch 305. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. So I know that, you know, a lot has happened the past couple of weeks, specifically on the Marlins side. The injuries have been piling up a lot of moves, a lot of transactions, and of course, the trade deadline. So the dust has settled. The smoke has cleared from this crazy uh, trade deadline. Um, but after all of the all of what happened, you know, the Marlins only ended up making one trade. They traded Ant- uh, relievers Anthony Bass, Zach Pop, and a player to be named later for t- to Toronto Blue Jays for their number four prospect, Jordan Groshans. Um, Jessica, I want to get your overall take on the Marlins trade deadline involvement because there was a lot of rumors that Pablo could be on the move, Jesus Aguilar, like a lot of names were up in the air. And then at the end of the day, the Marlins only ended up making one trade. So what, what was your take overall on the trade deadline? Yeah, I think there was a lot of curiosity leading up to the trade deadline as far as whether or not the Marlins would be buyers or whether they would be sellers. And you mentioned, right, right, all the injuries that really stockpiled, especially leading up to the trade deadline. You know, you've got a team right now that's playing without Brian Anderson, without Jazz Chisholm Jr., without Garrett Cooper. You know, they just got Jesus Lazardo back. Uh, John Birdie, you know, Anthony Bender just returned. I, the, the injury reports were, you know, double digit players long. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it was really tough because it certainly has had an impact on the way that the team has performed and it certainly had an impact on the record. And because of that, I, I think Kimming had to kind of adapt and adjust her mindset to the way she wanted to approach the trade deadline accordingly. That was actually one of the things that I asked her about last night. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, yeah, a lot of, a lot of names were floating out there as far as the rumor mill, especially Pablo Lopez, especially Garrett Cooper, potentially to the Dodgers, then maybe Pablo to the Yankees and so forth. Um, But in the end, like you mentioned, you know, Anthony Bass and Zach Pop end up getting traded to the Blue Jays. And, you know, you're, you're, your high leverage bullpen arms, uh, those are usually your most valuable trade pieces right around this time because teams are always looking for help in their bullpen. Um, especially, you know, a guy like Anthony Bass, who has pitched so well this season, and Zach Pop, who has shown so much potential and really shown what he's capable of as as a Marlin. And really this this trade that ended up happening you know, again, just talking to Kim Ng last night, it was a move that was not about the now, it was about the future. Um, and and being able to trade those two guys for 
Jordan Groshans, that that infield prospect from the Blue Jays, and a guy that hopefully they feel like they can develop. Um, so, am I am I surprised that more moves weren't made? A little bit. Um, I, I I was expecting, especially based on some of the stuff that we were hearing, that the Marlins were going to be a little bit more active in, in maybe trading players. Um, but in the end, you know, it all comes back down to what Kim Ng said last night. They, they weren't going to try and force trades just for the sake of forcing them. And, you know, Pablo, for example, a lot of teams called, a lot of teams inquired about Pablo. Um but there just wasn't a deal in place that made sense. So instead of settling for, you know, what they could get, I'm glad that they didn't. I'm glad that the San Pablo was high. It should be high, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm glad at the end of the day, um, even though I thought the Marlins would maybe be a little bit more active, I'm glad at the end of the day that they, they didn't just force moves for the sake of forcing them and that they didn't settle if they didn't feel like they got a good enough offer from another team for a player, especially a player of Pablo Lopez's caliber. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with you in the sense that I would, I wanted to see Pablo stay in a Marlins uniform because like you mentioned, the plan I think is for next season now. And he is definitely um, part of that plan. Cause let's say for example, the Marlins do um, part ways with Pablo who will be the number two starter in the rotation, the clear number two, because Pablo has solidified himself as that behind Sandy. So I feel like you're taking a step back if you do trade for Pablo, because right now in the now, you do have a solid number two option in your rotation. Um, I also want to get to talk talk about talk about the logjam now, since Jesus Aguilar was not moved at the deadline. But you did mention, um, and you did talk with Kim about, you know, the different players at the position. And when Cooper comes back, you have Aguilar now, and Leon Diaz is in the big league roster. How do you think, you know, Mattingly and the front office will handle this kind of logjam at first base? Yeah, and, you know, it's hard because I don't want to speculate. I don't want to read in between the lines of, of what Kim Ng said. You know, I don't want to put words in her mouth. Mm-hmm. I can just kind of summarize how she addressed things, right? Mm-hmm. She said specifically they want to make sure that they're getting Lewin at bats. Um, she was very short with her answers as far as what the plan is for Jesus Aguilar. Garrett Cooper, I believe, can return today after the 10-day Ielston. I believe today, you know, Wednesday is the day that he can come back. So, yeah, it's it's kind of, I think at this point, I, I wish I had a clearer answer, but I honestly, at this point, I think it's to be determined how they're going to make sure that you're getting Lewin Diaz consistent at bats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Garrett Cooper, who... I think it's been much better for him this season to be able to switch back and forth between playing first base and DHing. Even he's mentioned the importance that that has had mm-hmm. on, you know, not as much wear and tear, right. As, as when you play the outfield, um, not necessarily being in the lineup every day as a defensive player as well, but being able to DH and, and just what that's kind of done for him. So you're, you're going to have, an odd man out at this point, you know, unless you play Coop in the outfield, which is something he's done before. Um, and then you could play Lewin at first base and then you could DH Aggie. But then if you're going to move Coop to the outfield, then 
who who's the odd man out in the outfield exactly you know? so, I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, of questions that do come up i think when you're looking at how they're going to handle first base from here on out but hopefully that's something we get a, a little bit more clarification on today from don mattingly when we talk to him because Again, I don't want to speculate on on how Kim answered the questions or anything like that, but I, I think internally there's probably still a lot of maybe thinking as to how they are going to handle that and what they're going to do moving forward. So we'll see what happens, but you know, certainly, especially defensively, Lewin has been awesome. Yes, um, yes, and you know that he's got the potential at the plate, but it is important to get him those consistent at-bats. And I think that's why we saw him in the minor leagues for, for as long as we did, because you just, you don't want to have a guy like that sitting on your bench. Like he needs to play, right? Mm -hmm. He needs to get those ABs. So we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll definitely see what happens, but it's going to be interesting to see how that first base position plays out over the next couple of months for the Marlins. Definitely. And yes, also, also in terms with the outfielders as well, you have some veterans and you have some young players with Lade and Carnacion has been, he's had his you know, cup of coffee already and now he's right there on the cusp. So there are decisions to be made going for next season. And I want to talk a little bit more about 2023 in regards to the injuries because does, this team had so many injuries that happened at a rapid pace. If those injuries didn't happen or maybe like you cut back on those injuries, do you think the approach to the Marlins at the trade deadline would be a bit different? Because I do have that understanding. I do have that feeling that this team is not at their full strength. They're not at their full potential. So it's hard to gauge where they're at right now. Yeah, they have a record, but that, that doesn't say at all in terms of what's going on behind the scenes. Do you think the Marlins targeted this trade deadline more looking for we're not at our full strength, so let's not break what we have right now? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's obviously it's tough, right, to to play like the hypothetical scenarios. You know, what if they had had of course. Their, their full roster? I mean, of course, right? If you've got if you've got a guy like Jazz yeah. consistently yeah. in the lineup, and you've got a guy like Brian Anderson consistently in the lineup, and you've you know Jorge Soler, I know has had you know some tough stretches this season. Um, but still, like if you've got a, a healthy Jorge Soler who you thought was going to add power, you know, and you've got a John Birdie who is such a dynamic player in the sense that he can get on base and he can steal bases and get himself in the scoring position. And then maybe you've got Wendell and Birdie who are great at getting on base. And then you've got, you know, Soler and, and, and Avi who can provide some pop. I, I know the numbers haven't been there, but I guess I'm just saying hypothetically, right? If you're thinking about how all of this ideally could have played out and what it could have looked like. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I, I sure. I, I think if, if the lineup from the very start could have stayed intact the entire time and certain guys could have gotten going and, you know, everything would have played out the way that they would have hoped for, then sure, I absolutely think the Marlins could have been buyers at the trade deadline instead of – you can't even say they were really sellers. Yeah, I wouldn't consider that. Like, there really was more a neutral, I guess, like a neutral approach at the end of the day in the sense that they really weren't sellers, but they, were, they weren't buyers at all mm -hmm. either. So, you know, it's it's – it's just tough because it didn't play out that way. And I guess you just have to work with the reality of what the situation is. And that mm -hmm. is that they do have a, a decimated lineup as far as injuries. And, you know, you've got 
you've got guys that you were maybe counting on for a little bit more production that that hasn't necessarily been there. And, and so it's kind of just all things that it's like a perfect storm of, of unfortunately working against the team as far as what they were hoping for. So I, I think at this point, you know, Don Mattingly talked about it the other day. The, the mm-hmm. goal is to always play good baseball. You know, these guys are going to come out here. They're going to continue to compete. They're going to continue to do what they can. J.J. Blade, you know, getting the opportunity. Charles LeBlanc getting the opportunity. Lewin in there getting the opportunity. Um, and you're going to do your best and you're going to try and compete with what you've got. You know, that's that's just what you have to do at this point. Um so we'll see what happens. We'll see what, how the rest of this season plays out. And then you go into next year, kind of reassessing what you have, uh, kind of reassessing based on a healthy lineup, what's available. And then you go from there to address what you feel your greatest needs are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel exactly. like there's going to be a lot of questions that need to be answered in the off season. So I guess for now, I guess the approach from Mattingly and the rest of the Marlins will be to try to make the season as respectable as possible from here on out. Um, um, I want to get into what the Marlins got in return for the Anthony Bass and Zach Pop trade. Um, Jordan Groshans, he is a shortstop. Let's hit a shortstop. Um, Kim talked about him playing third base as well, getting more reps there in the minors. How does he play into the fold for the future plans in 2023? Or, or do you think he has involved? Yeah, that's another thing that came up yesterday, uh, just kind of the plan for, for him and, and, you know, when could we possibly expect to see him in the big leagues and, and things like that? Where is he going to start out for the Marlins in the minor leagues? And and uh, I think Kimming had a more wait and see kind of approach because she wants to get a better look at him before making any decisions. Um, but again, this guy, you know, you think about just like you mentioned, right? If he's able to play shortstop, if he's able to play third base, one thing that the Marlins really like are guys that have position flexibility. You see it with John Birdie, you see it with Joey Wendell, you see it with Brian Anderson, you know, um, and so on and so forth. So I think one thing that you can say that stands out early is, is the possibility of position flexibility. Um, you know, one thing that Christina De Nicola brought up yesterday when she was asking Kim about Jordan, uh, low strikeout rate, I think, and just like a better plate discipline. I haven't really had a chance to, to like look much at, right. Right. Who this guy is, what you know, kind of who he is as a player, who he is as at the plate. So I don't want to overspeak and, and act like I'm an expert on on this newest prospect by any means. But, um, you know, I just I, I know that was one thing that was brought up. Uh, you know, more of a contact hitter, more you know, low strikeout rate, and 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 so now can they kind of develop? I guess the potential that they see in him as a hitter. I think that's the biggest the biggest question mark at this point so again i think with him it's more just a wait and see approach um before we really get a good idea of of who this guy ultimately is as a player yeah i I couldn't agree more because if you look at his numbers uh, right now at triple a he's hitting 250 only one home run but if you look at his double a numbers he was hitting above 290, and he showed some more pop at the plate. So I agree with you. It's, I think it's so, so very too early to understand or realize what he can provide at the major league level. I feel like getting more reps down there in the minors is what's best for him, and, and the Marlins coaching staff can see what they have in the, at their hands. And sometimes it's also tricky to kind of project, right? Because right. I think J.J. Bleday is almost a perfect example. You know, yeah. we, saw, we saw J.J.'s numbers kind of honestly kind of struggle in the minor leagues and, you know, was better this year 
but look at what he's done since he got called up. I think he's done an, an excellent job showing great plate discipline. Yes. Uh, yes. He's already shown his propensity for extra base hits. Um, I think he's put together, I know it's a small sample size. I understand mm. that, but I think he has put together some really, really good at bats on this level already. So sometimes you see that maybe the numbers in the minor leagues, whether good or bad, don't always tell the full story. So, um, yeah, I think again, just going back to Jordan, it's it's almost more a wait and see. You know, we can look at what he has done in the minor leagues so far. We can talk about the potential of, of what he can possibly offer. But I'm just more curious now that he is in the Marlins system to kind of see how that path unfolds for him. Definitely, because um, he, you know, if LeBlanc is the future, I guess, third baseman or playing on the left side of the infield, then you got to see how that plays out as well. You know, there's a lot of different ways that this can go. And maybe, you know, him being a utility player can help him maybe expand to the outfield. Like, it's just there's so many different ways that he can develop in the Marlins system the way they would like for him to. Right. Agreed. And so I, that, that was more on the offensive side of things. I want to get into the pitching side now for 2023. Uh, we talked about Sandy, Pablo's, are, they're, you know, they're, they have solidified themselves right there in the top of the rotation. But the Marlins still have a plethora of arms that can bring up a lot of friendly inner competition within the team um, going into 2023. Um, what are some of the big name pitchers that you expect to be on the opening day roster to be, um, for, for next season? So we did see glimpses of Cabrera. Uh, and, and um, you know, like what he is, is capable of. I know Sixto is still down right. the line with his rehab and whatnot, but any big arms you think that, wow, they have a really good chance of making the opening day roster for next season? Well, I think that's the one thing that you feel like is almost pretty short up is that you do have a wide variety. I mean, we already know, okay, your number one is Sandy. Your number two is Pablo, especially with Pablo not being moved at the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus Lazardo coming back yes, and, and looking great. Okay, there's Lazardo. Braxton Garrett, you know, another lefty who has shown yeah. massive amounts of growth and potential so far this season. I thought his start last night was incredibly impressive in the sense that that first inning could have unraveled everything. Yeah. And then he ends up going on to tie a career high in strikeouts, you know? So that, to me, just illustrates a massive amount of growth right there to be able to make those adjustments in-game. Um, and then, you know, Trevor Rogers, that, that's another one. After mm -hmm. being finalist for Rookie of the Year last year, I think you're just watching him go through some growing pains that young players go through. That's just a part of the process. Right. So Edward Cabrera and the potential that's there. Um, I, I know Max Meyer, you know, going under – undergoing Tommy Johnson yeah. that's going to kind of take him out of the mix. Sixto, what is that progress going to look like as far as his path to being healthy? Will he be a name that's in the mix? You know, I that is the one thing that you know you're going to have with this organization is incredible pitching and pitching depth. So, you know, I, I think – Again, right? Still, these last couple of months are going to answer some of those questions as mm -hmm. to, to what next season could potentially look like. But I think without a doubt, obviously, you know your number one is Sandy. You know your number two is Pablo. And I think if Lazardo can 
continue to pitch well throughout the remainder of this season, now coming back from the 60-day IL, I think Lazardo, especially being a lefty, is going to be your number three. And then your four and five, it's going to be from a combination of either Braxton Garrett, Trevor Rogers, Edward Cabrera, you know, and, and some of those young arms that are either going to get their opportunity or, or they're really, really going to continue to develop in the minors this season and then show in spring training the amount of growth that they've experienced as well. And of course, people can't forget, like, even further down the pipeline is Yuri Perez and Jake Eater. You know, it just goes on and on. Yuri, who just participated in the Futures game, who's putting up some unbelievable numbers. So, yeah, that is certainly one thing that this organization has is pitching depth. Absolutely. And so uh, that's going to do it here for this episode of First Pitch 305. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on. I know you have a very busy schedule, so thank you so much. And I will definitely see you today at Sandy's Beach Day. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, yes. Always, always love a Sandy Alcantara start. You always know there's the potential to see something special. 